<laughs> Welcome tonight, guys. It's so good to have you all here. Um, and tonight, we are nearing the end of our sign series. Um, and so that's the series when we've been walking through the first half of the book of John, um, looking at Jesus' public ministry. And John focuses a lot on the miracles that Jesus performs. Um, and, and he focuses on them not just because they're miracles and because they're really cool things that happened, but because they're signs and they point us to something deeper about who Jesus is and, and what he came here to do. And uh, as Bonnie mentioned kind of at the beginning of the semester, the book of John really is like the English major's gospel. Uh, he writes with a lot of irony and symbolism, um, trying to pull out different themes and so tonight, um, we're going to look at a story that's really rich in symbolism. Jesus heals a man who is born blind um, as a means uh, to discuss spiritual blindness. So um, we're going we're gonna to dive into that. Uh, this story, it's found in John chapter 9. So we've skipped a couple of chapters from last week. Um, so in that kind of in-between time, just to sort of catch us up to where we are, Jesus has continued his public ministry. Uh, he's form performed a few other uh, really kind of notable miracles. He fed 5,000 people with one kid's lunch. Uh, he walked on water. And uh, as he did all of this, he became an even more controversial figure um, amongst uh, the Jewish people. Some people were like, this guy is a prophet. Some people were like, this guy's a heretic. Um, and, and all the while, Jesus is proclaiming that he's something even more than a prophet. He's proclaiming that he uh, came to be the bread of life and the light of the world. So that's the context for the story we're stepping into. And we're going to see some of that tension play out in this, in this story tonight. Um, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, really were not about Jesus. Um, they thought that, that what he was saying was going way too far and stepping, stepping beyond his bounds. So, uh, yeah, let's just dive right into this story. Um, it's John chapter 1. We're going to kind of go through the whole, um, the whole chapter slowly tonight. So we'll, we'll, John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the passage up on the screen for you. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. But while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So let's pause here for just a moment. Jesus and his disciples are traveling along, and they meet this man who was born blind. And his disciples ask him this question that I would venture to guess most of us have asked God at some point in our lives. They see suffering, and they ask Jesus, why is this man suffering? What happened? But in their question, they also reveal their assumptions, and they reveal what they think the answer will be or should be to this question. They ask, who sinned, this man or his parents? And those are the same basic assumptions I think that we still often make about suffering, 
first we look for somebody to blame. So they ask, oh, was it his parents? Did they sin? Did they cause this? Um, for us, when we're suffering, it might be like, whose fault is this? Is this my parents? Is it my friends? Is it my enemies? Is it God's fault? We look for somebody that we can point to and, and place the blame on them. The other side is, is they ask if it's the man's fault, which seems a little absurd because he was born blind, so he would have had to sin in utero. I don't know how that works, theologically speaking, but um, seems not likely. But for us, I think, for myself at least, when I'm going through a tough time, I have a tendency to blame myself. I think, oh, if I was just a better Christian, or if I had done the right thing, or if I just had more faith, then maybe this wouldn't be happening to me. But Jesus refutes both of those assumptions. He says that neither of those explanations hold up. No specific sin caused this to happen. We live in a world that's fallen and broken, so suffering exists. But that's not the end of the story. Luckily for this guy and for us, Jesus is the end of the story. And this man's blindness is used to demonstrate God, God's redemptive plan. Jesus is the light of the world. He's the only one who can shine into our places of darkness and blindness and pain and bring us to a place of wholeness and redemption. And so in verse 6, we see him do just that for this man. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. And this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Truthfully, it's kind of a weird miracle. There's no way to beat around the bush on that one. I don't know, like, what had to be going through this guy's mind. Like, he can't see what's happening. All he can hear is Jesus spitting. Like, that was awkward. Um, and this is a pretty tangential story, but whatever. When I was in Sunday school, I had to be, like, seven, probably. Um, our Sunday school teacher was teaching us this lesson. She, like, read it to us, and then her, like, activity for this story was, this is weird. She brought in a bunch of baby dolls and then put saran wrap over their faces and then had us all spit on them and like rub their eyes. And I don't know what, the, to this day, I have no idea what seven-year-old Jesse was supposed to get out of that other than like germs from the other kids. It was so bizarre. But I mean, to her credit, I still remember the story. So there's that. Anyway, like I said, that had no point, but it was weird. So anyway, so Jesus heals this guy. It happens in a strange way. But the point is, he's been blind his whole life and now he can see. So he naturally does what I think we would expect him to. He goes home. He's never seen his parents before. He's never seen his friends or the people he's known his whole life. So, of course, he wants to go see their faces. Um, so he heads back to his home, uh, and that's when the trouble starts. So some of his neighbors see him, and they're like, isn't that the blind guy? Why isn't he blind? Some people are like, no. Some people are like, yes. 
He's like, yes, I was blind. I can't explain exactly what happened, but I can see now. This guy helped me out. And so everybody is very confused. So they take him to the Pharisees because they think, well, if anybody can explain what happened, it's the Pharisees. They're the most educated. They know the most about God and miracles. So we'll bring him to him. And really, that's when, that's when trouble really, really starts for this guy. So we'll turn back uh, to verse 14. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one that you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Now being put out of the synagogue was a really big deal. It wasn't just the center of spiritual life for the Jewish people, it was the center of their social life. So um, if you were put out of the synagogue, you would be named a heretic and, and be labeled really for the rest of your life. It would affect who you could marry, uh, what kind of job you could get. And so it had real uh, and, and substantial impacts on these people. But as we watch the blind man and his parents interact with the Pharisees, we see uh, the spiritual blindness that's present in the Pharisees. And we, we begin to see that play out here. They were religious leaders of the day, um, and they were, they were obsessed with the truth and with being right. They had a concept of righteousness that was very much based on following the rules. And like, like Bonnie talked about last week, the Jewish people had a law that God gave them, and it was intended um, as, as this covenant between God and his people in a way for them to, to come before him and, and to know him more. And to love him more. But the Pharisees took this and corrupted it the way we so often do with the gifts that God gives us. They turned the law and their works-based righteousness into an idol. So when they see that Jesus is healing on their Sabbath, the love for their idol and for the rules they've created blinds them to seeing who Jesus really is. Because the truth is, he is the one who came to fulfill the law. His coming was prophesied by people in the Old Testament. But uh, they, they can't see that because they're so focused on what they've created. And, and what they've created to serve themselves. So when they question the blind man and his parents, 
we see that the Pharisees had already come to their own conclusions. They already answered all of their own questions. Jesus didn't, uh, or they had, yeah, sorry. <laughs> their list of questions were not uh, to seek truth, but they wanted to discredit Jesus. Oftentimes, I think people have a vested interest in not believing, just like these Pharisees did. Because Jesus really was a threat to them. Uh, he obviously disagreed with them on a lot of theological points, like the Sabbath. And he was upending the social and religious order that gave them their power. And if he was right, they would lose the thing that they had based their entire identity upon. And the truth is, Jesus is a threat to all of us when we first encounter him. We all have something to lose when we encounter Jesus. If we let him shine his light into our hearts, we will all have places where Jesus will confront our thinking and our way of life. Oz Guinness put it this way. He said, we will either pursue truth at the expense of our desires or we will pursue desires at the expense of truth. I was like this uh, my freshman year. I'd really been hurt um, by some of my experiences with the church before I came to college. And so when I got to Georgetown, any religious uh, event or service that I walked into, um, I came in ready to pick it apart. I assumed that they were going to say something that I disagreed with or that they weren't going to present the right aspects of the gospel. And I was on the lookout, ironically, for judgmental and self-righteous Christians without realizing that I had become one myself. I was more concerned with how religion and how Jesus could serve me and my desires than I was with how I could serve him and his mission. And because I was listening only for what I disagreed with, that was all I heard. I had blinded myself to truth, even though I thought I was seeking it. See, there's a difference between good questions that we use to seek truth and to find out more about Jesus and about God and our relationship with him versus questions that are used to justify our place in the dark. And sometimes we come to Chi Alpha or to a church service looking for a reason to be offended or a reason to discredit Jesus, not ready to seek and to discover. We encourage questions here at Chi Alpha. That's why we have questions at the end of every service. But my humble question for you tonight is, do you have a desire to believe or are you looking for reasons to dismiss Jesus? We see throughout scripture that the intent of the heart is prior to its content. That's how it was for the Pharisees. They were looking for reasons to dismiss Jesus. So let's, uh, let's turn back to the passage here and see how all of this plays out. Back in verse 24. A second time they, that's the Pharisees, Summon the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, 
but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become this man's disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he came from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. For all of their knowledge and their education, the Pharisees are blind to what is happening in front of them. In the Old Testament, there are no, um, there's no record of, of blind eyes being opened. So that's why he says, uh, the blind man says, no one's ever heard of this before. There's also the fact that he was born blind. So that makes this miracle uh, a little more miraculous in some ways. Because it's not like there was uh, an illness or an injury to be healed. There's a sense that uh, there was a deeper issue a more fundamental problem that Jesus was fixing in his miracle. And so even though there's no, no precedent for these, uh, these kinds of miracles, in the Old Testament, there were prophecies that this would happen. In Isaiah, uh, he prophesies that when the, when the Messiah ushers in the kingdom of God, blind eyes will be opened as a sign of the dawning of the new day. So Jesus comes and he opens this man's eyes who was born in darkness to show that he is here to bring us out of darkness and into God's light. And this should be a clear sign to the Pharisees of who Jesus is, a sign that's grounded in the scripture that they spend so much time studying and digging into. But they refuse to see it and they kick this man out of the synagogue rather than face the chance that they might be wrong. But then at the end of the chapter, uh, this man who once was blind runs into Jesus one more time. So let's look in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So John really spells out the extent of his symbolism here at the end of the passage. This man who once was physically blind, who couldn't even see Jesus as he made the mud that he used to heal him. He's come not only to physically see Jesus, but to see him as he is, to see him as Lord. 
And we see it's cool to, to kind of trace the way that he identifies Jesus throughout the story. At the beginning, he's, Jesus is just a man that, you know, that he encounters. But then he acknowledges him as a prophet in verse 17. And then as a man sent from God in verse 33. And then finally to Lord in verse 38 where he worships Jesus. On the flip side, we have the Pharisees, the men who've devoted their lives to studying the law and scripture, but they can't recognize the one that came to fulfill that law. They claim to see and they claim to possess truth, but in doing so, they only condemn themselves. They can't recognize the blindness in their life and they don't see the, their own need for a savior. Their success and their power and their position have left them or left them to rely on themselves and have blinded them to their own fallenness. So even when Jesus stands right in front of them and offers them something different, they choose the comfort of their darkness and the comfort of their power and the comfort of being right. I mentioned um, that I was a lot like these Pharisees when I came to Georgetown. I didn't want to see the way that I was acting hypocritically or the way that I was being judgmental. Um, but then, on over spring break of my freshman year, I went on a missions trip with Chi Alpha. Uh, we went to Atlanta and served with a ministry out there. Um, and there was another group that was with us, and my friend and I were being pretty critical of them. Um, they came in and just sort of the things they said and the way they acted, it really kind of set me off. Um, and so we were talking about them. And one of the pastors who came on the trip with us uh, overheard us and very lovingly spoke some truth into our lives. He said, it's okay for you to have a critical mind and to, to think critically about the world around you, but you need to be very careful that you don't have a critical heart. Have a critical mind, but an open heart. And that was like Holy Spirit conviction for me that day. It was like he held up a mirror to my soul and I, for one of the first times in my life, had to really kind of face who I was uh, and face you know, that I was the person that I was um, the most judgmental of. I was the very person that I claimed to hate. I saw the depth of my pride and it was so ugly and I was so disappointed in myself. And I knew that I couldn't fix it on my own because fixing it on my own had gotten me to that point. It was a moment when the Holy Spirit brought real spiritual sight into my life. I saw the depth of my sin, but then he graciously showed me the depth of his love and of his grace. And I understood how much I needed Jesus. And that began a transformation in my life. And that's not to say that I'm never critical and I'm never judgmental, but I know that I'm growing. I think it's, it's telling that this blind man that Jesus heals, the physical healing happens in an instant, but... The, the real transformation, the time for him to, to acknowledge Jesus, it takes the entire chapter. 
Jesus doesn't stand by at the moment of the miracle and like expect him to acknowledge him as Lord. He allows him time to come to that choice himself and for it to be a real choice. And it would have been so easy for this man to choose to deny Jesus and to give in to all of the pressure that was around him. But he knew that Jesus had done something really profound in his life. He couldn't deny that. And he didn't really fully understand what it meant or how it happened, but he knew that it was important and that he had to cling on to that. He couldn't deny the blessing in his life and he stayed faithful to seeking the truth of it. For me, because Jesus shined his light into that dark place in my soul, I've been able to heal and forgive those who hurt me like Jesus called us to. And it took a while. It by no means happened overnight. Um, but it's brought me so much more freedom than, than the anger that I was experiencing before. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And it's true he's the light of the capital W world, you know, the savior of all humanity. But he's also the light of your personal world. He came and died so that you might have freedom and true relationship with God. And like a light that shines into your eyes when you've been into the darkness, those genuine encounters with Jesus can be pretty jolting and it can sting. But once our eyes adjust, we celebrate that light. We don't want to go back to the darkness. This man didn't want to be blind again. And we never really want to see ourselves as we truly are. I was upset when I realized the truth of of the person that I was being. I was happier, uh, you know, in that moment. I was happier before when I was ignorant of everything. But I was also living in ignorance of the goodness and the grace of God. And, and, And that brings an inexplicable joy that's deeper than any happiness that ignorance could bring us. Standing here four and a half years later, I'm so grateful that that pastor had the courage to step in and say something to us. And the person that I am today, the journey of repentance and healing I've been on since then, it's so much greater than the person I was before. When we go through these, these periods of, of you know, seeing Jesus truly, it's, it is a hard transition. It's a, it's a reckoning. But like the blind man, we want, we want to keep that sight. We don't, that's something that we can cling to. That's something we want to, to hold on to. So uh, let's go to questions here now. And then... Um, I'll close up after that. Um, cool. So the first one says, uh, how do I identify the ways in which I am keeping myself blind? How do I identify the ways that I'm keeping myself blind? Great question. Um, if we're blinding ourselves, obviously kind of hard to see past that. And so I think that, I mean, like for me, it's important to have people who are able to speak truth into our lives. And oftentimes it happens 
Um, well, I think, so there are kind of a couple ways it can happen. Um, by having like really good, good friends around you that you really trust and that you can be really, really open with, um, that's, that's a good place to start. But um, that can also get a little complicated because sometimes then we start like excusing each other's flaws. So there's an intentionality that's also important. Um, you know, this for me was, was a pretty profound moment and it was from a guy who I don't, I think I've seen once since this missions trip. I did not know him well, um, but he, you know, he like was courageous really in like saying something in that moment. Um, and so I think, it, first of all, it takes, it takes being willing to listen when people do correct us and being willing to like, you know, not just get defensive and dismissive, um, even if we don't know them well. And even if, you know, it, oftentimes the first, I think, response in that situation is to like defend yourself. And I kind of did in this moment. I was like, well, you don't know, like the way people treated me in the past, like, you don't know my, my history. And he's like, I don't really care. <laughs> not that he didn't care, but like, that's not an excuse, you know? Um, and so, sorry, I'm kind of rambling at this point. I'm trying to bring it all back together. Um, yeah, being willing to not get defensive, but then also having people, um, you know, the people that you're close to, it's important to be intentional and like name that you're you're willing to be honest with each other. I have a, you know, not all of my friends am I like, hey, what am I the worst at? But I do have a couple of friends who I trust enough and who know me well enough that I can say like, what do you think my blind spots in this aspect of my life are? Um, and sometimes I don't like the answer, but I trust that they're telling me the truth. So, yeah, that's probably the best way. Most random people aren't just gonna call you out. So, so as we as we go into worship tonight, um, there are a few things that I want you to reflect on. And worship is really a wonderful time to do this, where we're singing to God about who He is and about the things that He's done for us. And so first. I want you to ask yourself, what has God done for you? And how has he blessed you? Even if you don't know what it means yet, or you're not really sure what he means to you, uh, what has he done? And then after that, I want you to think about, are you pursuing truth or are you pursuing your own desires? Are you willing to let God shine a light into the dark places of your soul? Are you allowing success or self-sufficiency to blind you from the truth of who Jesus is? Because we can't just serve Jesus and accept him when it's convenient for us or comfortable for us. When what he says aligns with what we want him to say. Submitting ourselves to him requires an honest reckoning of who we are so that we can rest in the depth of his grace. So let's learn from the blind man and acknowledge the work that God has done in us and focus on that. Let's focus on God's goodness tonight as we sing together. So.
if you want to stand um, or kneel or, or take whatever position you feel is best to, to connect yourself with God, I'm just going to pray for us now. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you love us more than than we can even comprehend, certainly more than we we have earned or could ever deserve, God. Thank you for for the blessings that you've you've given us, God, the grace that you show us. I pray as we as we worship tonight that we would we would encounter you, that we would seek you, and that you would dispel anything else that might be on our minds tonight, any stress or anxiety or frustrations. God, but that this time would just be about you. In your name we pray. Amen.